and welcome to Bond, James Bond, with your host, Mike Kalinowski, and myself, Brad Gilmore, promoting our brand new book, Bond, James Bond, exploring the shaken and stirred history of Ian Fleming's 007. This will be a limited podcast series that will dive into every single James Bond movie, and we will break them down. We will give our opinions, our hot takes, or whatever comes across our mind in the world of MI6's greatest secret agent, James Bond, 007. We hope that you enjoy the podcast so much so that you go to bondjamesbondbook.com and order our brand new book available on bondjamesbondbook.com or wherever books are sold. Let's enjoy the podcast. Today we're talking about 1962's Dr. No, where James Bond 007, a British secret agent, has been sent to Jamaica to investigate the disappearance of British agent John Strangeway and his secretary. Once arriving, 007 becomes suspicious of scientist Professor Dent, who was the last person to have seen Strangeway before he disappeared. After learning Professor Dent is working for a terrorist with a metal hand, Dr. No, and Strangeway is dead, 007 meets CIA agent Felix Leiter and his assistant Quarrel in Jamaica. 007 and Quarrel head to the tropical island Crab Key. After encountering the beautiful Honey Rider underneath the mango tree, 007 finds the island is actually Dr. No's secret lair. When 007 and Honey are captured and Quarrel is killed, James Bond then learns Dr. No has been disrupting the American rocket launches at NASA, and he is out for world domination as a part of the terrorist group Spectre. He wants to unleash his vengeance on the United States of America. Can James Bond defeat Dr. No and save the world? We discuss right now. (laughs) 
And here we are right now to talk about the first of the many James Bond movies, Dr. No, 1962, what started it all starring Sean Connery as James Bond in the, in the titular role as James Bond 007. Um, this was the one that started it all, Mike. This, this was the yep. first one, really, if you, if you don't count the 50s Casino Royale, this is the first <laughs> time we see James Bond hit the big screen. Yeah, and it, it's funny. I mean, it's got to be for both of us because we didn't experience this in the theater. Um, where did you, in the order of Bond, let's say this, like in, in the order of you discover Bond, you see him with your, you know, uh, where, how did this, this film come to you? This must have been, so the first Bond movie I saw was Diamonds Are Forever. Um, that's oh, my wow. my Bond mitzvah, as I call it. <laughs> uh, my Bond mitzvah was Diamonds Are Forever. And then at the same time, I think that every everybody's bond is kind of like w- whatever age they were. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. everybody's bond is also like whoever's James Bond at the you know when you first discover it, that's your bond. So for me, it was yep. Pierce Brosnan. So the first Bond movie I saw was Die Another Day in theaters, and then um, I started watching the Brosnans, and it was my dad who said, "Hey, you know, you had this uh, Dimes Are Forever movie that you like so much." This guy did other ones. And I was like, oh, yeah? And so that's when we <laughs> we started watching them. And I think we did it out of order. So Dr. No probably came, I don't know, five or six, maybe seven movies into me watching Bond. Um, but it's actually one that I go back to. Maybe it's top three that I go back to the most. Um, this one. Okay. Now, I, I know where, uh, what about you? Where, where did you first see Dr. It, no? It was, uh, for me, it was, uh, Octopussy was the first Bond film I saw in theaters. Oh, so nice. M- Roger Moore was my Bond. Uh, and so I just, of course, went through all his. It, it, like for, And especially being at the age I was so young and like Moonraker was really big to me. Just because it was flashy and whatnot. And uh, as I got a little older, the Fur Eyes Only, Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, and then I want to say, and then I kind of grew into to Dalton later. Then Connery came later. Connery was probably... Uh, right around the time of like, of course I knew Connery, you know, and you know, you, you know, the films, uh, but back then it quits, you know, it's kind of th- funny to think about. There's no internet back then. <laughs> like when I was discovering these films pre golden eye and, and, you know, as always going to Suncoast for the VHS, you know, Suncoast. MGM, whoever had it. Yeah. MGM or UA, whoever had it at the time, they would always release like the box set and they all look so cool with all their, the cover art. So for me, you know, they talk about don't judge a book from its cover. For the Bond films, it was always like, this is the cool cover. But I don't think Dr. Nose was very flashy, so I didn't pick it up till much later. And I was like, oh, it's the first one. I should go back and watch it. And 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 then you're, you know, you're kind of, I don't want to say jaded, but those films did look a little weird. You know, it, it's funny to think if people watch like GoldenEye right now, would they look at you and go, huh, that's kind of weird. They yeah, dress this, weird and yeah, this yeah. and that. And it, I'm just, I'm so curious to to talk to so many people through this book about discovering bond and, and, and what the past looks like to them. Cause yeah, the, the Connery films were always so weird to me and they just, yeah, I, I didn't have that. Well, he was the first, he was the best. It was, I came from a different place. So it was much later that I came to Dr. No and, and, and appreciated it for being the first and what they did with it. But it's not really up in my top favorites. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and in the book, Mike and I, uh, we talk about, uh, we rank our James Bond actors and films um, so we won't yep. reveal yeah, yet no, no, no. <laughs> where 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 our <laughs> rankings are. But let's just say, 
You know what's funny is, and this isn't giving it away, but you and I almost have the same exact ranking, except yeah. for the first and the last are flipped. I know. <laughs> it's the know. same every other way, but our favorite and our least favorite I are know. flipped on our list. So it's going to be interesting to get into. Um, and I'm sure readers are going to have their opinions on it. But Dr. No does so many things right, I think, for James Bond. Mm. It doesn't have the classic uh, theme song, really, to intro. We didn't really get that f- till from Russia with Love, but really properly yeah. with Goldfinger. Uh, but we got the gun barrel. We mm. got um, the, the the cold open. And, we, I mean, we got M. We got the, the leather-bound door, which I always thought was great. <laughs> yeah. um, I've never seen a door like that in person, but we got that. No, never. <laughs> I, where is that stuff? It's like, you never see that. I, I was reading something on, like, Die, uh, No Time to Die, and there's like, we changed the leather from red to brown or brown to red. And I forget they're talking about because it was felt a little stuffy. And I was just like, I don't think I've ever seen a leather-bound door, ever. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't exist in real life, uh, <laughs> at least f- to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, what, what, what to you about the bond formula sticks out the most? What do you think that they really nailed in Dr. It's, no, it's funny that, you know, from, you know, people talk about from rush with love, like they say, like a classic spy film. And it's so funny to think that I feel Dr. No, you know, you got Goldfinger. They, they say it was the template for bond. Like that's set, you know, the over the top villain with his overly complicated plan and the bond girls and this and that and the henchmen. Uh, and they always say that From Russia Love was like the true kind of spy novel. I, I feel Dr. No kind of, you know, with he had, you know, a villain with a plan that he had, you know, the layer that the, you know, Ken Adams designed, the, the beautiful layer that we think of when we think James Bond. So there were a lot of things that were there that then weren't there from From Russia with Love, which was interesting to me. So they did kind of go a little hard. Like, you know, I always, I, I love the scene when he, he loses his gun and they give him the Walther at the beginning. You know, they take the gun from him. Like, ah, you don't need that. We give you a Walther. I like, think he had a Beretta and I think Beretta, they called it, it a, a lady's I say it was a, Yeah, it was gun. a lady's gun or something. I know like we talked c- about it in the book. And yeah, I don't want to say it was a Beretta. I don't know. I don't know if it's in 1911 or 1119. I, something I'm like a that. Gun aficionado. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they, that always stuck to me, even as a kid. Because the Walther, that's Bond. Right. To me, the Walther is his weapon. So to see that, I was like, oh. I never, I never knew that. But of course, it's in the books and 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 whatnot. But to see that, you know, happen and be faithful in the books, it's kind of really cool to see. I uh, one thing that stuck out to me when I was watching the entire series, but this movie in particular, um, when researching the book and and adding kind of my um, commentary on all the films, is uh, the score. Obviously, this is the first time we hear the the Jane, the John Barry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Bond, do, 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 right? It's the first time we <laughs> yeah. really hear it. Uh, well, obviously, it's the first movie. And they must have really loved this composition and knew that this was great because they play it like 40 times in the movie. <laughs> like James Bond is walking from you know, his, the airport to the car and it's do, 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 do. I mean, he's unpacking his, his suitcase in the hotel and they're playing yeah. the theme song. That, that kind of stuck out to me. Um, but what I really love too is there's kind of this, and we'll talk about it as we talk about each movie, but there's this kind of, I don't know, theory out there that James Bond isn't really a good secret agent. Um, (laughs) right. And and the, and guess what? There's plenty of reason that you could make that, uh, argument. Didn't you not love though, seeing 
you know, some of the things that he did in this movie to uh, like when he got to his hotel room, like taking a piece of his hair out and putting it over the closet door. Right. right so that yeah. you would know if someone came in the closet. I kind of love the little spy things that happen in the movie. Yeah. And it is, and we, we talk a lot about how like, you know, Bond is such a, a time capsule of the period and, and whatnot. And, you know, it was a different time back then, the Cold War and everything and, and what it meant to be a spy. So it was great to see that. And I, I think that's what's, I don't want to say low tech of, of Bond, but it was a low tech Bond and it worked. It, it, it was just kind of him, his wits and, and whatnot. Uh, and it worked. It worked for the time, it worked for the picture. And, and you got to respect that. You got to kind of respect what, it, what they did. Um, so we also got really the, the first Bond girl, um, the, the, aside from Lois Maxwell, we right. got um, Honey Rider, played by Ursula Andress. And yes. I know we, we also go into our favorite Bond women in the book. <laughs> yep. And there's a lot of – I mean, I was actually thinking about some of the women that I didn't even mention today. In- there's just like – you know, when you, when you think of Bond women, okay, everyone's like, oh, the leading ladies. But there's just like, – like, to, to Bond in general, you are in the movie, you're a Bond girl. And there's so many lesser known roles. Uh, I don't even say lesser known roles, but sometimes there may be glorified cameos, but they're Bond women. And, and there's just so many of them. And you kind of forget over time of, of so many of how many there were and, and, and the importance to the film or, or their appearance or what they meant to certain people. Yeah, I, no, I agree. And even if you look at, um, I know we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but like Casino Royale, um, I think her name's Solange in the movie. On the beach, yeah. Yeah, but she's only there for maybe five right. minutes of screen time, if that, three minutes of screen time, um, I, or less. Yeah. <laughs> but she's, yeah, she's I think a bomb woman. In our, yeah, in our, in our rankings, I, I put someone in there that people are going to be like, who? What? <laughs> yeah. But it just, it, you know, what we watch and how these movies affect us, that's what's so good about them. Like, it's funny. I don't know if you've been noticing this on Twitter lately. I don't know if because I tweeted out about our book or something, but- Bond has been constantly in my thread and from people I don't follow and don't follow me, but I'm like getting the rankings of the films and this and that. And even though people are vastly different on their favorite films or favorite actors or favorite Bond girls, but no one gets hostile towards each other about it. No one's like, are you kidding me? You like that movie? You like, here's your Bond, this and that. It's like this so respectful community. And I love that about Bond. I think it's it's so great. We all have our different and our favorites, and, and, and everyone's like, oh, okay, I understand that. Well, cool. you come from uh, uh, the Star Wars subculture on oh, <laughs> online, <God>. and <laughs> you can't even say your favorite color lightsaber without sparking yeah. debate. Oh, you, there you go. <laughs> That's alone, exactly right. Let alone movie um, or, or Bond. But, but going to the Bond women, Ursula Andress, to me yeah. – when she comes out of the water in the orange bikini with the knife on her side, yeah, I I really think as far as first efforts go, I can't imagine hitting it out of the park I, any better than that. I'm trying to think of a girl that had a better intro than that one, a Bond like a Bond leading lady. I, I'm trying to like, I Halle Berry that had the kind of homage, which was an homage. Yeah, it's the same entrance. I mean, Craig then had his homage to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm trying to think like, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I say, I talk about it in the book about one that I, that sticks to me and why mm-hmm. it does. But, uh, I've got it pulled up my IMDb right now and there she is doing that same scene right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's classic and, and, and just, yeah. 
What do Can't you, be beat. What do you, now, in every Bond movie, there's always like the mm-hmm. person who helps him throughout the journey. Yeah. Now, we meet Felix Leiter for the first time in this one, played by Jack uh-huh. Lord. Um, Jack Lord really rocking yeah. the cat eye sunglasses in the movie, <laughs> <laughs> like really sticking to him. And then there's also Quarrel, yeah. uh, who's his kind of uh, helper and the guy who's a little bit afraid of this dragon that we hear about on the island. Mm-hmm. Um what did you think of this rendition of Felix Leiter? I I love the character of Felix Leiter. I, I think he doesn't. I, I was so glad with Jeffrey Wright to be able to come back multiple times and to give him kind of agency and and build the character because the character is it's a great character. You know, it, 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 sometimes he's just shown up to kind of I don't want to say it'd be a buffoon of the CIA where Bond you know shows how good he is, but I always thought them they always worked well when they're kind of equals. They're they're vastly different characters but they're also on the same i would say two sides of the same coin would that be kind of like you know I, he's not an american james bond per se but it's he's just as capable of him and and jack lord had a great like i mean talk about casting you know he looked like a american james bond he just was great and suave and was this before hawaii Five? it had been before i hawaii think it was Five before Five. i think it was like it a few years been. before yeah mm-hmm. And I'm looking at his headshot right now on, on the IMDb. He's like, yeah, he could have been James Bond. He spoke if he's British, sure, he would have been perfect. So I think they were they were a nice compliment to each other. They really worked, and I don't know why they decided to kind of go away from that as Felix progresses yeah. as a character. Because by Goldfinger, and we'll talk about Goldfinger when we get there in the podcast. But by Goldfinger, he's like an old balding guy. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why the they made one- that choice. I mean, I they, you know when we get to David Hedison a little bit, who does play it twice, and he was a little still older than Bond, a little more um, business. I don't want to say like businessy. Um, and then the guy I liked because I like the movie Living Daylights is I think it's John either Tenny or Terry. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's Tenny, but like, but he looked a little bit younger. But he was they they really just did him bad, d- dirty. They were like, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna make you an incompetent. You're, you're just just show up in your members only jacket and you know give Bond the info he needs. I, I wonder if the, if that's part of the reason though is Jack Lord was really awesome in this movie. Yeah, um, and I wonder if they said we can't have the audience wanting to see, especially the American audience wanting to right, see the right. American James Bond. We need to make this that's guy not as cool as James Bond. Yeah, that that's I, I'm sure that's 100 percent right. Yeah, it's like yeah, okay, the next time, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, um, so. every Bond but villain. Queer, go for it. We real quick, Quirrell. Did you know, like? I don't know if this is fan theory or not. Someone was saying that Quirrell and uh, Sharky in License to Kill. Someone was saying they're either related or like their father to be and the son? son of him or yeah. something. Like I don't remember where I was reading this when we were doing the research for this book, but someone I was like, uh, I read that huh, too. That's interesting, and I wonder the validity of it only because. Now, again, until we get to Daniel Craig, none of the continuity really matters right. at right, all. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but I just wonder from a continuity standpoint, because I will give Eon Productions, the the Everything or Nothing, the Harry Saltzman, Cubby Broccoli, who produce all the movies. Um, I do give them some credit because every now and then they would get it in their mind of we need to make these movies connect a little bit more. Yeah. Like you have the scene of Roger Moore at, at uh, uh, Teresa Bond's grave. Right. Um, yes, yes, yeah. And you have like some allusions to the character. 
but they're all connected, but not really. So I almost wonder if they would say this is Quarrel's son because then it would kind of age yeah. bond kind of significantly. Right. right? And, it, and it adds, yeah, even though we're, gosh, he'd been the fourth bond at that point, it adds history to them. Like it instantly adds history to the relationship, you know, even though they didn't touch on it and, and to say, Hey, remember that one time your dad and I, and this and that, and, but it, it does, it was a weird, like it made sense. And it's like, okay, that would work. You know, let me, but, let me ask you with this being the first James Bond, did you have any issues with him already being James Bond when the, when the movie starts and we don't see any kind of origin of the character? Cause you don't get the origin no. until Casino Royale. No, I, I, I always like, I don't know if films and when they're talking about characters doing over reliance on origins, but sometimes it, it just, you know, and I don't know if I'll ever want to see, you know, bond in the Navy and stuff like that. I, I don't know because what, what makes bond bond is the double O and, you know, Casino Royale was about, I mean, just that brief little prologue in the black and white. I mean, that's all I really needed. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't think I would like to see it. There was a comic that touched on it a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't stick with it too long because I was like, eh, it's not my thing. Yeah, I don't really need to see him. Yeah, in the yeah, ranks of the, a, of the military. Like, yeah, I mean, we how many movies we see of military guys and and, and to know where you know, but I could be wrong. They could do a movie and it could be awesome, and I'll put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see. I just I for me, Sean Connery. Um, as soon as you see him on the screen you automatically yeah. accept him. And he had yeah, something, absolutely. whether he's your favorite Bond or not, I think that he does have this universal thing of he seems believable from a physicality standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like you feel like this guy could fight anybody. I mean, because Sean Connery legit must have been, what, 6'2", maybe, 6'3"? He looks like a tall gentleman. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I believe he was Let's a... They have his height here. Let's see here. Yeah, he's a... Um, I believe he's a swimmer, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was his background was he was a swimmer, but definitely looked athletic and like he knew, you know, look, he could handle like someone said it best. And I think it was in an interview or, or maybe one of the early reviews for the film. They're like, he's like a panther when he walks in that room. That first scene is like, he, mm-hmm. he's extremely capable of violence and he doesn't do anything. And you still sense that about him. Like he had this, this capability. And I think that's one of the things he shared with, with Timothy Dalton uh, is they, they both look like they could murder you with their bare hands. And that's I think you think you need that in Bond. Yeah, and and it's something that is very present in the Sean Connery Bonds overall. And actually, um, uh, this was something during the research of our book that I found interesting about Sean Connery. He was he did swimming, and he also was a bodybuilder in Mister Universe. That's what it was. Yeah, that's what Uh it was. He was a bodybuilder, so he obviously was an athlete. um, coming into the franchise or coming into the series, and you, I think you need to be able to sell that. What do you think, though, about Dr. No? Because every Bond villain, especially in the early ones, have their quirks about them. Dr. Right. No, um, his hands were robotic, and yeah. he was an interesting guy who could hold a a, uh, a, a champagne <laughs> glass with the greatest of ease, but couldn't right. grip a, or anything to save the, his the, life the, at the end. Yeah. I, one is kind of like, okay, like – I, Joseph Wiseman, I'm like, all right, it, it was never like, and maybe, maybe to the point of the film, they never really made a thing about his nationality. Mm-hmm. So that was always kind of, are, are we doing a stereotype? Are we, you know, cause in the book does kind of lead into, 
like stereotypes that you know back then you didn't think about it but now you're like oh that's that's really not right you know yeah, of a, <laughs> he's supposed to be different. asian in the oh in yeah, the book he's like, asian right right of almost like a fu manchu right stare the, the wrongful stereotype uh so with joseph wiseman i'm like okay is, was he an american but he was an american actor i think and and i want to say that so i'm like did they do something with makeup on him because i always thought he was asian until I, I started I was old enough to go back and look at them I'm like oh okay that was not that wasn't an asian actor i actually think um i was hearing because um i think he had some sort of of actually asian background, background. Mm-hmm. okay I do believe so. Um, see, da, 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 da. I'm trying to see if I can find it real quick. I don't see it in his IMDb, but well, um, Canadian brought, yeah. up, uh, brought up in in Canada, Montreal, Quebec, died hmm. in Manhattan. So yeah, I mean, see, but I'm looking at his picture right now. And I'm like, doesn't really look like he did in Doctor No. True. Kind of the same, you know, an earlier like a nice headshot of him. Right. Wow, he it died in just, 09. It yeah. looks like you'd find him in Mad Men somewhere. Definitely has like, that 1950s cigarette salesman vibe. Yeah, he does. He really does. <laughs> um, totally, I, totally not. Th- like, let me see if you can see this picture here of him. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, he's a, I mean, you know, not, not a bad looking guy either. Yeah, doesn't really look like Dr. No. So they, I got it. They may have done some I makeup. They did something to him. A little cosmetic uh, makeup effects. But I don't if, know. But of course. again, the book is. They even were saying in the writing of the screenplay, they were like, yeah, there were some tropes that we were not going to do. Mm-hmm. And it was great that they had that kind of foresight that early on and, and, and you know, something in the 60s there. So, yeah. But we're also introduced but, to Spectre in this movie. Um, yeah. Spectre, although I love the idea of a criminal enterprise that's mm-hmm. kind of like Illuminati-esque, taking right. over the world and, and finding all these interesting ways to for world domination – Right. The name Spectre sounds cool. Do you did you love the acronym of what it stood for? It's the Special Executive uh, for Counterintelligence, Revenge, and Extortion. Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. extortion. I'm trying to sit there and think in my head, like I'm like, what was it again? And because I was like, now in the oh gosh, there's like my head right now because after we went over the review of the book, my head is like overload, explosive. So like, oh, I know. trying to keep facts straight and names and dates and everything, and I'm just like, now Smirsh was first, right? Right. And they couldn't use that because they wanted to go more. I think they wanted to kind of just get away from like political, and they want to kind of make it like an overarching bad guys mm-hmm. instead of to like bad guys, Russians, this and there. You know, you could tie a nationality to it. They wanted to just kind of make it this shady organization then with specter but like um so like i i you know it i always find it so funny when they they, they make these bad guys names you know and <laughs> villains like that and every and every spy genre you're like oh you really wanted to spell something out there huh? yeah. now who's <laughs> using that whole term like who uses that <laughs> they definitely I know the, the craig one they're like just, we're just calling it specter it's just it's just the organization we're not gonna like you know is one department in charge of each letter like but it was cool you know think about it back then in the 60s there wasn't anything like this we, we were you know we're spoiled we, we we think of spies movies and, and everything now and what's happened but back then it was like that was new you know it was you know and and, and what i loved and, and i didn't think about it at the time I, I completely didn't see it when no time did i came out but the um safin's uh chemical farm is poison factory the 
scientists were wearing suits like Dr. Nose. It was an homage. I didn't pick that up at all. So I watched this great video on the homages in it. And I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's one. Because, that's one that came to me later on a rewatch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you just think, the, I mean, people think, talk about the design of Dr. Nose layer. And that's in the fifth, 60s. Like, that was fantastic. Like just his whole thing. And then it, it did set up the fact, and we talked about, you just said how Bond films, there was never any continuity, but there was in the sense that there was Spectre. It was always kind of there and it was always felt looming. Uh, and these people were these different, you know, I don't say henchmen, but they're different agents of Spectre. Um, so it did lend a, a little bit of a, a continuity. Ken Adams and, Ken Adams and the set design too was just out of this world how how great everything looked. I mean, yeah. when I watched it with my fiance, so she had never seen any of the Bond movies, so we're actually in the middle yeah. of watching them all chronologically, wow. and it's one of the great things that stood out to her was how awesome the sets looked in the '60s, and yeah. and um, I, I guess this would be they they say that Jaws is the first blockbuster, uh, hmm. you know, of the modern time. It's Jaws yeah, is the first yeah, they blockbuster. Do. But yeah. I really think is Bond not really the first blockbuster? I hear that Jaws talk a lot, and I mean I wasn't born yet, so I don't know. But I uh, like how Goldfinger couldn't have been it, right? Like to to read what Goldfinger did at the time it came out with the Beatles Revolution, and how and again maybe that speaks to the fact that Bond is always kind of skewered towards a male older demographic. So maybe it wasn't, whereas Jaws was that first one that like families were involved, you know, moms, dads, women, children, men, every everyone went to see Jaws. And it was we all became afraid to go in the water, as they said that that with that, that slogan. Right. So I don't know. I would have thought Goldfinger, but maybe it was kind of a little adultish. So the kids weren't involved and, and it didn't kind of take over like a Jaws and later a Star Wars. So I don't know. Uh, it is interesting. Let me, I'm going to, these are a couple of trivia facts before we, okay. before we wrap up our little episode here. Um, the stuff that we obviously talk about, some of this we talk about in the book, some, you know, we, we don't cover explicitly, but this is one that always stood out to me because we talk about the physical specimen of a Sean Connery. And um, this was an interesting trivia fact that Sean Connery actually was fitted for a toupee in this movie. He started losing his hair when he was 17 and began wearing a hairpiece in films in 1958. From Goldfinger onwards, he wore a full wig, but in this movie, he wore a dry toupee and a wet toupee when he was in the water. Is that not a little mind-blowing? Dude, that, like, first of all, like, I knew he wore a toupee later in life, and I remember on the rewatch, I don't know, like, my my best friend is a Connery guy, like, you're a Connery guy, like, Mm -hmm. Connery's his guy, and I go, did you ever notice... Craig's hair, or not Craig, Connery's hair in the first couple films. Like, you don't notice in Dr. No, the, from Rush With Love, it's it's like, it's night and day from Dr. No. You're like, mm-hmm. something happened. And then Goldfinger seems like the kind of one he had from then on. Yeah. But, like, from Rush With Love, there was something, I was like, what? Because Dr. Dr. No looked real. If he was wearing a tube, I couldn't tell. Yeah, he, but then apparently on, was he like, was. I had no idea. I knew he always did wear one. Uh but I never – you see the change in those first three films. Uh, but, you know, I was like, well, okay, whatever. That, like, for me, it's like – it's kind of like like the modern-day MCU films. Like, all those guys wear toupees just to kind of make them look like the character. Not toupees, hair pieces, like, uh, to give them the the, hair, the look of the character. So, you know, Bond has such a specific look from Ian Fleming's version. So if they ever decided with the actor, they're just going to give him a wig. It's like, oh, nope, fine by me. 
It's interesting. But that's fascinating. I didn't know that. I just learned that now about the the, the, Look, the wet and dry ones. <laughs> wet and dry wet and dry ones. Also on Connery, his suits for the film were made at Savile Row by Taylor Anthony Sinclair. We, we know Savile Row. He even mentions that in this movie. Um, uh, that's the tailor. But uh, the Sinclair, his tailor, stated that a truly great and bespoke suit would be able to stand up to a good deal of abuse, such as grappling by the lapels and still look great afterwards, or grabbing somebody by the lapels and looking great afterwards. They said to prove his point, Sean Connery was asked to sleep in his suit. When he woke up the next morning, he was stunned to know that it looked fantastic still. That should be that should have been their saying, like sales pitch. The kind of suit that could stand up to be grappled with. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, you know, now with a scuff, you know, defending your lady's honor, these suits will take a, uh, a, a scuffle and still look damn good. That's great. Great suit. A couple more. A couple more here that I thought was interesting. Uh, Sean Connery was actually the godfather to Ursula Andress's son after the making of this movie, Dimitri Hamlin. That was interesting. And the white bikini that she wore in this movie went on to sell in auction for 35,000 euros in 2001 and then was later sold again in another auction for 41,000 euros. Uh that's pretty pretty expensive bikini there. Do you, do you own any bond memorabilia? Like you know, that? I like don't. Prop? I, I don't, don't either. I wish I, I did. I have back to the future stuff. I don't have any bond I, things. Every time I, I there's a couple of prop houses that every now and then for some reason I'm on some kind of like email list and I'll get right. like the catalog and they'll always give you like the starting bids, what they think it's going to start at or what it's going to start at. And I'm like, my God. <laughs> but like, and maybe thank God I'm not into collecting because I think I would go down that rabbit hole of certain films to just own certain props. But like, there was one, it was like a golden eye auction and they had like his, his Piton laser gun from the opening. I was like, it's like $15,000 starting. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. But there's uh, just some pretty awesome stuff out there. Last last little bit of trivia on Dr. No was, of course, this is something that, that we know very well that Ian Fleming didn't like, the casting of Sean Connery as James Bond initially. He didn't like it mainly because Bond is English and Sean yeah. Connery was, of course, Scottish. You couldn't yeah. couldn't fool anybody there. And um, Sean came from a working class background. Bond was a refined, educated man. And he so he thought Connery was too rugged, but after he saw Doctor No, he ended up loving Sean Connery so much so that in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the novel, that's where he first made it uh, in print that Bond had Scottish origins and kind of yeah. tied it all together, which I thought was really interesting. It's funny, like as a kid watching these, I didn't even think anything of it. Didn't even think anything of it. His accent. Oh, me didn't neither. Didn't bother me. Like, but it's a matter. Do you want to think of it? You know. And there was not really a lot of outrage at the time. You know, it was like, oh, he's Bond is – it just shows you the difference between people nowadays and back then. Like, Because people always ask me, they're like, Mike, who would you cast as Bond nowadays? And and they're always like, would you cast so-and-so? I go, no, he's an American. I would absolutely not – I think – could he do an, a British accent? Absolutely, if he's a talented actor. But, like, I think the outrage of an American playing uh, the one of the most famous British people of uh, characters, fictional characters of all time, I think would be – not worth the hassle. Only two, though. Only two Bonds were English proper, right? So Sean Connery was yeah. Scottish. Uh, George Lazenby was Australian. Roger Moore was yep. English. Timothy Dalton was Welsh. Pierce Brosnan, Irish. And then Daniel Craig was English. So only two yeah. two, two, English wow. James Bonds. 
Uh, everybody else, though, you know, was somewhat yeah. uh, British, I, I guess. Maybe, maybe it's maybe they live a, like as long as some kind of European accent in there, we're okay with. <laughs> yeah, it. we'll figure an it American out. in there. The hell with it. The so, hell with it if he's American. So to wrap up, here's my final question yeah. for you on on okay. Doctor No, and let's see if let's see how close you can get. At the end of these episodes, okay. I want to ask you what you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is oh, okay. of the Bond movie. So Doctor No. 1962, yeah. uh, hour and 50 minute runtime. And to help you out, I'm going to give you the audience score. Okay. And let's see if this, let's see how close you get. So the audience score for this movie, based on over 100,000 ratings, is an 82%. Ooh, wow. Where do you think, right. where do you think the tomato meter is on it? My gut told me 79%. So. With a certified fresh score based on 60 reviews, Dr. No, starring Sean Connery, has a 95% wow. on Rotten Tomatoes with the consensus saying, featuring plenty of the humor, action, and escapist thrills the series would come to be known for, Dr. No kicks off the Bond franchise in style. So there you go, 95%. Damn. Shows you what I know about Connery's Bond, man. <laughs> well, wow. we have more of Sean Connery oh, as... Agent 007 coming up in the podcast. Of course, you can get Mike and I's book available on Amazon and all your favorite book sites. Uh, it is called Bond, James Bond, exploring the shaken and stirred history of Ian Fleming's 007. Get it now. Uh, Mike, where can people follow you online? Follow me at Mike Kalinowski. That's my Twitter. That's where I'm at. And follow me at Brad Gilmore. Until next time, this has been Bond, James Bond. We'll see you all next time. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? now, now, now.